I mean, what is this community? You know, what do we actually stand for? Yeah, we put on events and we share ideas, but is there more than that? And I, and I think there's more than that. I think we have a distinctive voice right now that is about looking for solutions, looking for the positive, looking for how do you take this god-awful mess and figure a way through it? How do we as humans back away from the darker instincts that can arise at a time like this of fear and anger and distrust and blame and somehow shift to what we have in common, what we connect with, our shared emotion, shared possibilities, shared ideas, shared vision, stuff that we can respond to together, stuff that we can build to together. Hey TEDxers, welcome to this special episode of Solving for X, our podcast for TEDx organizers and team members. I'm your host, Jay Harati, and today I'm here with Chris Anderson, the head of TED. Chris and I are going to talk through his journey of navigating TED through the challenges of the current global pandemic. Listen in for insights of how TEDxers can serve at a time of crisis and how to potentially transform this moment into an opportunity for global connection. Are you ready? Let's get started. Chris, welcome to this special episode of Solving for X. Thanks, Jay. Good to be here. Really appreciate the time. These are, these are crazy days, and I'm glad that we have you here to talk to the TEDx community at this time. I've heard you say before that some people don't need an introduction. And I think when it comes to the TEDx community, we don't need to introduce you, but we are delighted to hear from you. And what I wanted to talk about today is just kind of hear about your journey over the last few weeks into this challenging period. And it's hard to believe that this kind of started for us, I guess, in the middle of February when we realized like dark clouds were appearing on our shores can you take us back to that period when we started realizing that something was going to happen and that it was going to have a big impact on TED? Hmm. Yeah, an amazing few weeks. Actually, it was even back in January when news was emerging of this in China. Um, some people in the TED community I spoke to were saying, you know, this thing has a shockingly high reproduction number, or so it seems. Mm -hmm. It wasn't 100% clear. And the key number in trying to model or imagine what, what, what an epidemic can do is that reproduction number of how many people are infected by an average person. And there were some early signs that the number was over three. And if you ran the math on that, that was already pretty terrifying. But, you know, it was a long way away. Most people thought that the early mistakes made in China would somehow be avoided elsewhere in the world. And so, yes, it didn't really start to become an uh, a deep worry for a lot of us in the West until early to mid-February. And very quickly, you know, the, the sickening thought was that this conference, for example, that we'd spent all year planning would have to go, we'd have to do something else with it, and that um, we might have to figure out new ways of working and so on. And by the way, it seems just as I say that, that, that suddenly seems incredibly callous. I mean, a conference compared to people dying, what does it matter? And so, you know, it's, I guess we, we compartmentalize this stuff. You think there's this awful problem out there, but oh my goodness, it could deeply affect the thing that we've been spending all year doing. And, uh, and by the way, which we get, you know, a huge part of our sort of operating funding from, uh, what now? And so 
in a very short period of time, just the level of concern ramped up very rapidly indeed. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I remember also the early February, as we started realizing this was coming our way, it was first thinking about the fear that people were going to have about convening. We didn't, we almost didn't register as much how much contagion there would be or how many people would get sick and die. It's, it's kind of this amazing thing about human nature. It's hard to see it coming and, until it's really there. And so at the beginning, I, I guess we were spending a lot of our energy kind of just thinking through logistics, uh, I guess, of the business. Uh, the conference was coming up in April. What were the steps that you and, and the management team here took? Yeah, I mean, the early questions were mostly around the conference and, and what we communicated to people as well. Because we, we were suddenly from, uh, I guess, early in, in February, we're starting to get questions about people about whether we were sure Ted was going to be good in April. And the pace of those started coming in really fast. So that was the initial focus. And when we ran and looked at some of the models and talked to people, it just suddenly seemed completely clear that there was no chance we'd be able to do this in April. At the time, we notified the community of that. We actually gave them a choice between going virtual or postponing it. Met several people, including really smart people in the community, came back and said, don't be so silly. You're just playing into the fear-mongering here. We can hold this. Other conferences are going ahead. <laughs> um, and, um, and yet within three days or four days, those same people would come back and say, uh, actually, good point. You did the right thing. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing how fast things change. So there was that whole track where we initially... You know, we offered people a choice between the two. The feedback we got from that conference community was very much they didn't want a, a virtual conference. They'd much rather have the postponement. So that was what we we did. Meanwhile, for, for people in the office, I mean, the key question was, you know, when do you allow or encourage or insist on virtual working? And um, we went there initially as a, as a one-week experiment ahead of when New York was recommending that people do it just because you could see that it was coming and that um, uh, and it was better to be ahead of that curve. Um, but we initially framed it as a, a week and a half experiment. And within four days of that, it was clear that uh, we weren't coming back to work any, anytime soon. Yeah. And uh, we went through this period of getting everyone comfortable and well set up to work from home. And then my sense was that at, around that time when we knew that employees were safe and we could continue to work, something shifted for you where you began to focus perhaps on uh, openings and silver linings. Can, can you talk about that? Sure. You know, we had, we had a couple of very emotional all-hands meetings. One where it was almost the last, one of the last days when people actually were meeting together, where we gathered in person to talk about what was coming and the probability that we wouldn't be able to hold Ted in April. And, you know, right there, it was just, it was striking how concerned and fearful some people were. And I, I it felt, it felt important at that stage to communicate, you know, this is alarming, but humanity has the knowledge to work through it. We'll work through it. We're going to keep people safe and come what may, Ted is going to have a meaningful role to play in the world. But then as the, as the situation worsened, it became clear that the whole global economy was in the process of shutting down. Um, definitely the financial picture got scarier and people worried, everyone worried, of, of course, about you know, losing loved ones and 
uh, getting sick themselves and so forth. There was there was all that concern, and so I, I think everyone went through a roller coaster, Jay. You know, I I, I certainly did. That the, the in thinking about Ted, the first terrifying thought is, wait a sec, we're fundamentally in the conference business. That's where everything starts. The conference business is bringing people together. Bringing people mm-hmm. together is no longer safe. We are screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was sort of like as as visceral as as that, and um, and um, and yet within a short period after that, it's like, well, actually, no. No, no, not at all. That is not the fundamental way to describe what, what TED is or the business that we're in. TED is about the sharing of ideas and uh, the building of a kind of community. And both those two things you can actually do in a world where no one can move out of their homes, courtesy of the internet. That thought started actually um, sparking a, a cascading series of really quite I'm embarrassed to say exciting thoughts. Like I actually got quite excited about the possibility here because it was already clear, you know, that this shutting down of the economy was was ruinous to a lot of companies and organizations. But there were there were some that would actually flourish during it. Um, you think of you know Zoom or really any of the, the the tech companies who who can do quite well out of it. If you can share ideas over the internet, there's a lot of things you can. Reinvent. You can you can do the core of what matters, and just as important, maybe more important, you can connect community. Arguably, when people are sheltering at home and are frightened, they actually crave community more than ever. And so I start. I so I, I guess I started thinking about that and thinking, could we reinvent TED to some extent for this weird new world that we're in and and might some things actually be even better might there be opportunities here that we we never really dreamt of before hmm. let's talk a little bit about one of the things that that came up in the days that followed ted connects uh i know it it kind of went from idea to live in a matter of days uh can you talk a little bit about it uh, first maybe just explain what it's been i guess it's been this is now the second week of it uh, so describe the program, and, and then I want to hear about what you've learned from it. Right. So TechConnex was a daily, hour-long conversation with a, a TED speaker about this virus, in some way about it, not necessarily directly about it, but about the psychology around it or the economics around it or the implications of it. Um because frankly, no one at the moment seems to want to think about that much else. Maybe they will soon. Um, but it's, as you looked across our speakers over time, you know, there are so many different forms of wisdom that they might offer. So we got excited about this, and it quickly became apparent that when you shift to that mode of needs must, we need information out fast. Um, we can't hang around on this, so let's do it fast. Mm. That actually made it easier to reach some people and to get a yes from someone. Um, as everyone listening knows, you know, persuading a speaker to come and speak at your event is, is one of the hardest things. That's true even for us. It's tr- and it's got, in some ways, it's got harder in recent years because our expectations have got higher. People have to prepare a talk and, and amazing slides and you know, figure out their performance of it and so forth. And it can be like a three or six month dance before you can get someone on the TED stage. And here it was like, You've got something interesting to say. Are you at home? Do you have an internet connection? 
you're on, you know? Mm. And so, for example, Bill Gates, you know, as a result of two emails um, and, and a short prep call, was all for talking about, you know, how he's seeing the situation now. Maybe six months from now, you'll actually be able to perform, you have a strip where you perform the tests in the home. But for now, the sending it back for the PCR processing, we can have massive capacity there. And the testing is everything because that's how you know whether you need to do more shutdown or you're starting to get to the point where you can relieve it. That was a voice that really needed to be heard. And it was a really quick yes from him that we might not have got in other circumstances. And so, yeah, so we, I guess we just, we just said, you know, let's, let's share ideas and build community at the same time. And so the way this looked in the moment was we used BlueJeans technology to bring people together. We, we pumped it into Facebook Live. It's not necessarily the, the best setup, and there have been some um, tech glitches en route. But at its best, you know, you had, I mean, that, that Gates uh, conversation has been seen. If you, if you look at the people who saw it live, the people who've seen it on YouTube and on, on our platform since, you know, it's, it's been seen by three or four million people. And, um, and got a lot of other coverage, um, suddenly, suddenly, here was something that um, wouldn't happen in a sort of corona-free month at TED in quite that way. Um, mm. and, um, and I felt emotionally um, more deeply connected, I'm going to say, to the, to the TED community than, uh, than, than ever. It's, it's, actually, it's been quite emotional. It's been quite beautiful. I mean, what is this community? You know, what do we actually stand for? Yeah, we put on events and we share ideas, but is there more than that? And I, and I think there's more than that. I think we have a distinctive voice right now that is about looking for solutions, looking for the positive, looking for how do you take this god-awful mess and figure a way through it? How do we as humans back away from the darker instincts that can arise at a time like this of fear and anger and distrust and blame and somehow shift to what we have in common, what we connect with, our shared emotion, shared possibility, shared ideas, shared vision, stuff that we can respond to together, stuff that we can build to together. That's the framing, the version of the, of the global tech community that makes me feel very emotional, makes me feel very proud. And, and I think that's what we are. We're people who fundamentally, we want to be part of building a better future together. Hmm. This, is, this is the first, well, certainly since I've been at TED, this is the first time when we are smack in the middle of news cycles, right? There, normally, as you've said, it, we have a conference, it's a few months away, we plan for it, we try to talk about what's going to happen in the following 12 months, and now we're in it, we're talking about what's happening right now. As you're curating, as you're editing, as you are being the interviewer, how are you shaping this to not be just competing with the news and the headlines, but to be offering something that is distinctly TED? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, often at TED we've said, you know, politicians come and go, ideas are forever. And we've deliberately shunned the daily headlines. We think that the headlines we're talking about are the actual drivers of history. But those headlines that we have always focused on are invention, imagination, science, knowledge. You know, this problem right now that we're in is fundamentally a question of science. You know, mathematics, modeling, you know, the fact that it was foreseeable in human minds 
is in itself a miracle. Like you compare humanity in the Black Plague or the 100 years ago with the Spanish flu. We, we didn't have the knowledge to do anything about it. We have the knowledge now. And so it's fundamentally like ideas, thinking, the right ideas are right at the heart of this thing. So it's, it's actually highly appropriate to be, you know, immersed in it. And I, and I think, I guess Ted's focus should be to try to think about the, the mental models that will help get us out. And that's both the epidemiological and medical and economic mental models, but also the psychological, you know, like what, what's at stake here is whether we are going to turn on each other or nudge each other to be our best selves. And um, both of those outcomes are possible. And that's fundamentally where, the, you know, the core TED model of a, of a global campfire where you, where you pull people together and you give people a chance to listen to each other, human to human, to look into each other's eyes, to hear each other's voices, and to, I hope, be persuaded and be inspired that there are, there are wise ways out of this. That's, that's the opportunity that's there. Hmm. That is certainly the opportunity. I know. I know you often think about the future and what comes next, and it's it's really hard to guess and imagine life after this. Uh, but but when you do, you know, there's there's one way to to imagine the world and say this is the first time everybody is going to realize that we are one species, one humanity. We're all human, no matter where we are. It's one planet. We're all connected. We're in it together. We're going to solve it together. You, see, you could see that happening, but you can also see exactly the opposite happening um, of people blaming each other, disconnecting, uh, you know, more nationalism, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have a sense of where this goes, you know, and obviously what role we can play in that? I mean, the, the point to make is that is that literally no one in the universe probably knows where this goes. Like, it's, it is not determined. It's all to play for. It absolutely could work out more than one way. Um, that page of history hasn't been written yet. We, we've got to write it. I don't know which way it goes, but I know that we can all play a role in getting it to work out for the better. And there, there are so many pieces to it. You know, there's a whole economic piece where, I mean, you hear stories coming from India. Um, my, my wife Jacqueline was in tears yesterday hearing you know having hearing some of the stories that are happening among the poor who are supposed to be isolating what does that mean it means that they can't isolate they can't you know if they're shut in their homes for a period of time they, they simply die it's like the, 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 so so there's there's just horrifying things happening just from a pure economic point of view that could have a lot of um consequence that, that we need to be paying attention to. But, that, but then there's, yeah, the, the, the sort of the collective psychological emergence from this. I mean, it's, it's clear that it will, it will deeply impact um, both individuals' minds and, and societies. And, uh, uh, um, um, you know, for, for many months, probably years to come. Um, and I hope that part of it is that it makes us more connected to each other and not just um, not just suspicious. The, the single biggest thing I hope um, is that it fundamentally changes people's respect for science. It, it's a weird, it seems like a weird thing to say at the at, at the moment, but I mean, um, you know, humanity faces a bigger risk still than this virus. 
Mm. And the scientists know it. They know it. They can model it. They, every scientist who's looked at the problem knows what is coming. And it's just rather than coming next week or next month, whatever, it's coming in the next year or decade or three decades. It's certainly coming in the life of our kids and our grandkids. And, um, and, and the world is, has not been acting fast enough to prevent it. That is, that, that is a really close analog to this. And you could hope that humans will take their knowledge from this and say, we have to do better as a species. We have to, when we have these tools to get advanced warning, we have to do better. And, uh, and so that, that, you know, like the short-term effect on the climate issue, which is obviously what I've been talking about, has been to take away attention and focus on it so that you know, no one's interested. Um, it, it has reduced emissions for a year, powerfully. Um, I hope the longer-term impact is that it, it says to everyone, wow, okay, We've wrecked the economy. We've got a chance to rebuild. Why don't we rebuild it the right way? Why don't we mm. actually listen to what's coming and take this absolutely unique opportunity to rebuild this thing the right way and um, and actually create a future we can all get excited about, our kids can be happy about, hopeful for, um, that that opportunity is wide open to do, which is why I think it's just like, it, it's so weird. Everything Everything has consequences. Horrible things can have amazing consequences, just as good things can have bad unintended consequences. I'm hoping that there are some just amazing unintended consequences from this virus. Mm. I know you're going to work hard. We're going to work hard at, at TED to do that. What, what do you think uh, TEDxers around the world can be focusing on? I mean, I, look, I guess the first thing to say is just to acknowledge that, that um, a lot of TEDxers may be in really stressful circumstances right now. I mean, we invite you to put on an event at your own financial risk. Um, yes, use our brand, but I mean, you do the work, you take the risk, you, you know, sign the contracts and all the rest of it. And then this happens and you can't have the meetings. I, for anyone out there who's financially stressed, I, I, my heart goes out to you. And I know that everyone is facing just radical rethinking of plans and so forth. It, this stuff is hard. So I just, I definitely want to acknowledge that. We had, you know, when we spent time trying to imagine what a virtual TED could look like, we, I, I've been in two big brainstorming meetings on that now at TED. Both times, it was weird. It wasn't just me. A lot of people came out of those sessions buzzing with excitement because that there are possibilities that every single part of the sort of conference chain i mean you start with the obvious of like oh well instead of a conference you could have a zoom call or mm. something like that um share the ideas that's fine you can um and so that's okay and people don't travel and and you said may you know that there are some things that are simpler that way but what what else can you do because that's really just the start of of one of our events right it's all about people coming together a community forming you have all those serendipitous connections so we started trying to brainstorm every aspect of it. And, you know, there's, there's, it looks like there are things you can do. And I think, Jay, we, we need to put together a toolkit and share. But, I mean, just some obvious ones that, that come to mind that are really potentially quite exciting. I mean, one, just look at, so a speaker gives a talk. Um, and then afterwards, people line up to try and talk to that speaker you know, they're deluged. Most like 10 or 20 people can really honestly have any kind of interaction with that speaker in the physical world. Online, 
we can possibly do much, much better than that. I mean, you're not limited by the physical space. So potentially, you know, 100, 200, 500 people could join a Q&A with a speaker after and um, actually see the speaker, see a bunch of questions answered, get into it in much more detail. So that's, that's one small thing. In terms of um, serendipity, you can, there's lots of tools online whereby people can connect with each other. We've been trying to picture what, what's the equivalent of online speed dating between members of our community so that they can get to know each other and have some of those sort of um, random in the hallway conversations that can be really transformative. Um, beyond that, we've tried to picture what does it look like to watch a, an event with the audience watching? We all know from various virtual experiences we've had that when you see someone speak, you see others reacting. That's a big part of the power of it. Could you watch a conference in a virtual circle of 10 or 12 people building relationships together, having conversations with each other afterwards? Would that be meaningful? So that's another question. Hmm. Are there exhibits and things that you can offer people? Like if you say you have a key sponsor, maybe there's something that they want to show people. Maybe you can offer an exclusive thing to someone where everyone is, you know, is, is behaving virtually. And then who can you invite to come is another question. So many times the reason a speaker can't come to your event is because you know, they can't get on a plane or they can't spare that week or that day. Well, guess what? Suddenly people's calendars are completely different. You might be able to get speakers you could never dreamt of getting before by, by just, you know, all it's going to take. We just need an hour of their time and a bit of prep. And, um, and so that, that, I think, is, is exciting. Mm. Um, so there's, there's each part of um, what makes your event great may be more reinventable than you imagine. Um, one of the things we face, which possibly some of you won't face to the same degree, you know, people spend a ridiculous amount of money to come to TED in Vancouver. It's like $10,000. It's hard to persuade people that, oh, a virtual experience is just as good as that. If people are coming just for a half day or a day and they're not paying as much money, maybe it's, especially at a time when people are craving community, it is more possible to you know, persuade them that a virtual event can be as good and in some ways better. Um, so I guess, I, I, I guess with your teams, take an hour out and just brainstorm, just brainstorm, not saying how can we get nearly as good, but yes, do that, but what can we do that's actually better and would be mm. impossible to do the normal way? What can we do that would actually surprise people in this brave new virtual world that we're in? You'll come up with answers, and by the way, you'll come up with answers we haven't thought of, and I would love to know what those, what those answers <laughs> are. Because the fundamental thing is community and ideas are not are not stopped by this virus. They're not. That's right. So a lot of the ideas that you've mentioned are basically bringing people and ideas together. You can do it in great ways online. Uh, it just requires the reinvention. And and one of the things you said, uh, Chris, was that we're going to pull together some ideas and we're going to share it, what we learned with the TEDx community. And I was thinking the same, that I'm going to look at the ideas for the TEDx community and I will share it back with TED because yes, I know I know that the community will do incredible things if, if we just take these values uh, and, and just change the medium, change the channel, but it's the same uh, types of interactions. Now, 
I want to talk a little bit about you as a leader at this time. I, I you're my boss. I, I work for you, and I've been in in virtual and physical rooms with you over the last few weeks. So I got to see a different side of you, uh, a side of you that that leads through a time of crisis, uncertainty, uh, and and I've heard you say this this question many times how can we serve how can we serve what does our community need at this time uh you've challenged us all to kind of rise to the occasion but take take a step back perhaps and, and talk about what this experience has been for you personally it I, i know it hasn't been easy because we're all looking to you to get on stage and be strong and give us comforting words Uh, but I know there's there's a lot of stress and there's a, there are a lot of worries. I'm sure for you personally, for your family, for your loved ones. How are you experiencing it? How are you recharging? How are you resourcing? I think any any words of advice to all of our leaders out there, every TEDx organizer out there, is like you, a leader of a community with teams around them, with audiences around them, you know, family members. What what can you share? Hmm. It's definitely been a roller coaster, um, and um, yeah, there was an, a meeting we were in where I, I suddenly just teared up, and I, I don't fully even know why. I haven't, I, I don't usually do that. <laughs> I think, it, I think you know, the, the stakes are the stakes are so high here. Like it's it's the the potential damage to an organization if you can't figure out the financials. That's intense, and yet the the opportunity is so extraordinary. Um, I, th I think it's, I mean, it's, you know, to say the obvious things, it's, it's like being authentic, being, you know, explaining where we're at, being as transparent as, as, as possible, being calm, being um, clear that there is a path through this. Not, not, it's no good just saying things will be okay. It's saying, look, here is how things are going to be okay. Um, and uh, th there's obviously all that stuff. I think at some point, and this is the bit that I, I, I think it's hard to get right, I'm not sure I always get it right, um, that the shift, it, it's incredibly important, first and foremost, to recognize the, um, the, 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 the stress and anxiety that people, your teams may be feeling. It's, it's completely tone deaf if you just ignore that rushing and say, great news for us, this is our giant opportunity, let's kick ass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, if I have a a fault it's it's possibly a danger to go to that too too quickly so I, i mean i think recognizing where where people are at really really matters and taking practical steps to do what you can to take care of any needs really matters you know the process you can't just wave a wand and have everyone working virtually we've at ted we've tried to do things like figure out do, do some people need you know extra furniture or you know what circumstance are people in you have to pay attention to um some of that stuff but then at some point this sort of um this exploration of what if you know there actually is an opportunity for us here to do something amazing that we've never done before um and trying to find the right language between opportunity and obligation i think opportunity is is a lot more exciting than obligation um it's not hey you're 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 really shitty if you don't do this and take this seriously It's more, wow, this is our mission. Um, suddenly we can actually, you know, we actually matter more to people around the world than maybe we ever did. Let's, let's, let's tap into that. Let's lean in, into that. Um, I mean, there's been this joke, um, Jay, in TED that it's, 
it's sort of been dangerous to have a one-on-one conversation with me in the last few weeks because because you know the the, the sort of disaster that my, your team is facing right now if you're not careful it's like after the end of an hour it's like oh we're going to do these two programs in uh, in no time yeah. at all and it will be amazing yeah. and so i've i i i you know i possibly over overdid that but i think it is the most moving moments to me in the last few weeks has been hearing people at actually at multiple different levels of the org say, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect that my work in this sort of fragmented version of Ted would actually be get harder, that there'll be more to do. But I feel so grateful that we can make a difference, that we, act, we can actually do something here that matters. And so I, I think, I, I suppose fundamentally, the, what I'd urge is to try to find a way of working with your team to find what it looks like to do that thing that matters even more now. If you can do that together, it's actually, um, I, I don't know, Jay, I mean, that, I, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, there have been some, as a leadership team, there have been thrilling, there have been more meaningful, more, more actually thrilling moments together as part of this than, than uh, I can remember. Absolutely, you know the we we've we've had those uh, on many days. We've had one of those today. We we feel deepening in every team at TED, and as I've said before to the TEDx community as well, I've heard from them multiple times saying that they're feeling these personal, deeper personal connections inside of their teams with community members, with speakers, and so that that's an amazing opportunity. You've been great. I've really appreciated you as a leader because you've walked into a room and you first asked everybody, how are you? And you wanted to make sure that each one of us goes to our team and ask, how are you? And taking care of each other. And then you switched and you said, what if, what if, what if? And that's, and then, you know, that helps us take our, ourselves out of our heads and think about something else, which is outside of our, outside of like the daily issues or concerns or anxiety that we have. And that's been really healing. So thank you for that. I know that TEDxers around the world are all thinking in similar directions. They're all uh, leaders. They are committed to making a difference. And they're mobilizing as we speak. Well, some of them have been at it for longer than we have. Members of our community in China has been at it the longest. uh, But it's really kind of making its way around the world and I think we're going to begin to see that impact. And I appreciate all the words and wisdom that you shared today, because hopefully that will feed a little bit into that as well. Yeah, I just, I think about your community, Jay, and, and the, you know, the level of um, of gratitude that I feel that we all feel like, gratitude and amazement, it's sort of like they're both held in equal regard. And now, now more than ever, it's truly amazing to know that you're out there doing your doing what you can to sustain um your your communities and to continue on our mission even through trying times so it's like a, a thousand a thousand thousand thank yous from from here for sure thank you chris we really appreciate you coming and joining us here today thank you we hope you enjoyed this conversation with chris If you have insights about virtual events that you'd like to share, questions that you want to ask, or if you'd like to find more resources, 
join the discussion on the TEDx Hub. This episode was produced by Bianca de Jesus, recorded by Taylor Stemley, and edited by Mickey Kapper. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Solving for X channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We are on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Thank you for listening and see you next time.